Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you do for us, including revealing yourself to us. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness and grace and loving kindness, patience and faithfulness to us. And so as we look together at this important doctrine tonight, I pray that you would help us to understand it in a greater and better and more accurate way so that we in turn can give you glory. Give us wisdom and discernment in our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, welcome back to the class. Appreciate you guys being here. We have looked at five verses already, five chapters in our class. And pretty simple because each chapter, each particular doctrine builds on another, works on another. And tonight you're going to see it particularly so. So chapter 1, pretty simple. Chapter 1, the first one, we, Scripture is true because it comes from God. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, the second one, Scripture is to be studied to know what it says. If we don't study it, we won't know what it says. Chapter 3, the third verse, Scripture reveals what God is like. That's pretty important. Chapter 4, Scripture teaches that Jesus is God and Jesus is man. Chapter 5, we concluded last week, the fifth memory verse is Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. So you can see the progression. Scripture's true. Got to study to know what it says. Chapter 3, who God is, who is behind the scenes, who brought the Scriptures to us. Chapter 4 is the person of Christ, who was God and man. And in chapter 5, what He did when He was here. Tonight, we're going to look at a very important chapter, chapter 6. And many times the verses that we're going to talk about, you've heard before, maybe in your own mind you've memorized it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Classic verses for anyone that says that salvation is by works. If there's a couple of verses to memorize that you'd like to have in the back of your mind when that comes up, it would be these. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand and that we should walk in them. Oftentimes, verse 10 is used by many to say that good works earn salvation. It's turned around. That's inaccurate. Sometimes they'll use that particular verse to prove a point. That's not true because the preceding two verses just said the opposite. And if you are looking at your chapter, you'll see that there was a downloaded message by John MacArthur. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is where he preached. It was called Exchanging Living Death for Dying Death. If you get a chance to listen to it, if you haven't, it'll just add so much more meaning to this particular, this particular chapter. So in your notes, look at the verse again, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace, what is grace? Undeserved favor, unmerited blessing is true. You have been saved 
What saved mean? Rescued. Through faith, dependence on somebody else. That not of yourself, so what's the opposite of that? Somebody else did it. I didn't. It is the gift of God, a gift. That's a thing given willingly to someone who they don't have to pay back. Not as a result of works, so that no one can brag or boast. For we are His masterpiece, is what that is. We are His workmanship, masterpiece. A work of outstanding artistry is the Christian who's been saved. Created in Christ Jesus. What's chapter 4 about in the workbook? Person of Christ, what did we learn about Him? He's true God and true man. Created in Him, the God-man, for what? Good works, which God, note this, prepared in advance that we should walk in them. What's the, what's the point of the verse? Nobody can boast on their own salvation. It's given as a gift by somebody else given to us so that we would be a masterpiece before the Lord so that we could give Him glory and the good works that we do so we give Him the glory and we walk in Him. The good works is not what we do to earn salvation. It's a verification of the salvation we've been given. That's these verses in a nutshell. Years ago, it was I remember it was in August of, uh, it's probably 10 years ago, I was asked to go on a trip in business to Indiana. And when we got there, there was a guest speaker, and I couldn't believe it. She used Ephesians 2.10. And she started quoting it. She said, For we are His workmanship, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, completely left out, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Because then it then promoted her humanism and her philosophy on humanism. What's the point? People twist scriptures to use it for their own merit and to prove a point. So we're going to look at something tonight that is so good. This, this chapter is so rich. This is one of those as a Christian. As you hear it, you'll either be reminded of it again. If you've been newly saved, you may have not have heard it before. Or if you're wondering about salvation, this may be all new. But remember chapter 1 in our workbook? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is what? Given by God. It's all true. So somebody may say to you and me, well, that's your interpretation of what it says. Remember, there's one interpretation. When God wrote it, one interpretation. And if we don't understand it, and there's Scriptures that we don't, what does chapter 2 tell us to do? Study, to present yourselves approved to God a worker. So let's look at our, let's look at our workbook. 
And we're going to start running into paradoxes here in this chapter. We're going to start running into God's sovereignty and human responsibility. We're going to start we're going to start pushing points of things we believe and tender points we either don't understand or don't believe. But they're both true. Of course, paradox is a statement of conclusion that is seemingly contradictory, but the Bible is never contradictory. People will tell you and me it is. It's not. Let me go back. Who is the ultimate author of Scripture? God, the Holy Spirit. Is He contradictory? No, He's not. I really like how this opened up. A couple of questions in your workbook. It says on page 47, how is Christ's redeeming work applied to man? Again, what's the definition of redemption? What is it? So that we have that in our minds so that we know what God is doing here. What's redemption? Bought with a price, bought back. The price is the blood of Jesus, bought back. Good. So how is Christ buying back in His redeeming work applied to man? That's a good question. How is it done? Or how about this one? How do we know if someone, including ourselves, is a Christian? How do we know? Because when everything comes down to the end of everything, no more work, Move to retirement, God willing. Um, kids grow up, grandkids grow up, parents pass away, sp uh, spouses pass away. And it's going to come down to you and me. What, what is it? How do we know if we're saved? That's the question for each one of us. And if there's anything to get out of fundamentals of the faith, it's that. Because when we die, we're going to get into this one and later in our workbook, people always have eternal life. Eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound harsh? So people come up with annihilism. They come up with reincarnation because they don't believe the Bible and come up with something else. That's for a future study. But for tonight... God has decreed, in your notes, or ordained two great words. Decree. Appointed in advance. God did. That He, that's God, has revealed to us in the Bible a plan of salvation. Let's look at that again. God has decreed and put into place, planned in advance, His salvation of His plan on how to redeem people. He's put it in place. He's always known it. He's never not known it. But He started time, by the way, that's chapter 3 on His attributes. He's the one who created time. 
And that's kind of our starting point to understand when he started his plan. So the Bible says before the foundation of the world, he chose us. And what did he do? He has a plan. Particularly, does for everybody, but specifically for Christians, specifically for believers. Isn't it easy to get off base with things that go on in life? It's just so easy. Everything from fixing a car that breaks down to wondering if you can make ends meet to pay bills to a new job, a new house, illnesses in the family, um, anything, anything. Isn't it interesting how that is? God has everything in place for that and salvation, and He's going to march every Christian through time because of His decree to save us, keep us, glorifies us for His glory. That's the idea. That's the idea. And so when we get caught up in all these other things, ask the Lord to help you. I I know I need to take care of this. I, I know I do. Would you help me to remember to look farther down the road than in this moment in time? Would you help me with that? I need wisdom. God, deal deal with it now. I know I do. Give me a broader picture. Have an end game in mind. It makes all the difference in the world. In this lesson, we will learn how He saves. Look at this. Those who believe. See that in there? It doesn't say we will learn how He saves, which we will. It says we will learn how He saves those who believe. Who's the father of faith? The Bible teaches us. Starts with God, then who in the Old Testament? Abraham. He's called Abraham the believer, Galatians 3. Okay, why am I saying that? You ever talk to somebody who's a Christian and say, yeah, he's or she's a believer? We come from the father of faith through time as a spiritual family for those who believe in God. So the dots are connected. We oftentimes don't see how the, everything comes together clearly for us, but if we can start here, with the Bible's true, Scripture must be studied. Who is this God the Bible speaks of? Jesus is the God-man. He came to die. Then how does He save? If, if you and I can crystallize that, life takes on a whole different perspective. Let's look at this, God's sovereignty in salvation. Turn with me to Romans 8, 29 to 30. God's sovereign plan of salvation Romans 8, 29 to 30. If you write in your Bible, I know some of you don't, but if some of you do, these are verses to underline. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. 
And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. We're going to break these verses down, talk about them a little bit, because they're so good. So, so, so good. Foreknew. Foreknew. God's predetermining to have a an intimate relationship with some individuals based on His eternal plan. That's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is God predetermining to have an intimate relationship with some individuals based on His eternal plan. Foreknowledge is an attribute of God. Foreknowledge is not simply Him having advanced information and knowledge. But this, it's a decree of what shall be. That's foreknowledge with people. Ever see in the Bible, and Abraham knew Sarah. Jacob knew Rachel. Jacob knew Leah. Jacob knew Bilhah. Okay? Jacob had intimate relations with these women, and so did Abraham with Sarah. That's not just knowledge of that person. That's moving into an intimate relationship. Same thing. So foreknowledge is with people. It's always with people. It's never, in a sense, with things, even though He decrees things. We're looking here more of of foreknowledge with people. And what He foreknows will be because He has decreed what it shall be. So here's the question. Do you believe that God has ordained and decreed things in advance that will be? Okay, let's break it down. Do you believe that... uh, Adolf Hitler would rise to power in the 1930s and 1940s and because of his power to rule the world, 60 million people were killed from World War II. Think that's from God's decree? Of course it is. Was it God's fault that all these people were killed? No. How does that work together? I don't know. My point is, you and I will always go back to one side or the other, human responsibility or God's in charge. Our responsibility to obey commands of Scripture or God is sovereign, I'm going to let go and let God do what He wants because He's sovereign and He's going to do what He wants to do anyway. I don't need to pray because God is sovereign, doesn't make a difference. Or I am going to pray because He says to pray. How do my prayers work with all this together if He's decreed it? I know this, He chooses to use some of those prayers for His purpose. Did He always know what we were going to pray? Yes. Because if He doesn't know, then He doesn't know anything, everything. He can't be God anymore. David, you knew what I was going to say even before I said it. And he remembers it. 
Back to foreknowledge. One very important fact must be mentioned about foreknowledge here. Every link in this chain we looked here in verses 29 to 30. This chain of salvation represents God's action. This is God's divine action. And He is not ruling out human responsibility. It doesn't say human responsibility here. But it's true in what we're about ready to look at in more detail. Have you ever felt like God is sovereign in charge, does what He wants, He's always right, and thinking, well, in many ways it doesn't matter what I do. Or I've even heard people say I'm not responsible because God is sovereign. Sovereignty means absolute rule. God's in absolute control. He's supreme. Why am I saying all this? Because in foreknowledge, those of you who are Christians in here, a long time ago, from eternity past, and it goes back as far as your mind can take you, eternity past. Go as far back in your mind as you can go. Ten million years, trillion years, fifty billion, zillion years. Go back farther. He moved into a relationship with those individuals he wanted to have a relationship with. Yeah, Brad. Would this then be the concept of the human authority foreknowledge of and Abraham and Luke being used there as negotiator for Jesus and on the sovereignty of God that he would be referred to also as the negotiator Yes, did God know that he was going to have a conversation with Abraham? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flip the coin. Did Abraham go all the way to the end and say, if there is anybody in there who's righteous, would you save them all? Did you notice he stopped? What's the point of that? He could have kept asking. Maybe God wouldn't have 
maybe, maybe that was something that, I don't want to say maybe, it was exactly what it was going to be. My point is, when we pray, it isn't a matter of, Lord, I want you to change your mind. Because if we're thinking we're going to change God's mind, then we're moving into an area that where we are, God has made a mistake to get us to the point of where we are. And He never makes mistakes. Now we're moving into, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but you said I could ask and you'd help me. And you said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Remember he said that? I will help you. So we go back and forth. We go go back and forth with these doctrines that seem like paradoxes. But we take them together. When we do, by God's grace and the Spirit showing us, we are definitely on track like a train. We're on those tracks, and we're going to move forward with a broader understanding of who the Lord is and what the Bible says. But when we get off track, then we go into a ditch with our thinking and theology because then we're out of balance. So, yeah, Brad, it's... He always knew he was going to have that conversation. Did he change God's mind? No. Because that would indicate and imply that God made a mistake. Yeah, make a mistake. Does it imply that prayer works? Absolutely. How does that work together? Railroad tracks. Yeah. Does that make sense? Let me encourage you in conversations with yourself and your own mind in theology and with other people who you visit with. Most of the time, only a few rare people will understand what we're talking about. The other people will try to move one thing to, yeah, but then that's not fair. Yeah, God is so sovereign, it really doesn't make a difference. That's not true either. We want to be theologically straight. Encourage them with, well, here's what the Bible says. You know. And when I say I understand what you're saying, when you say, well, we're responsible to believe, I, I agree. We are. And God is sovereign. So, together, okay? Let's keep going. Foreknowledge. God moved into a relationship with people. Notice some. Some people, not everybody, because the Bible doesn't teach universalism. Not everybody's saved. Only a select few. Remember the verse? Many are called. What? Few are chosen. Yep. Many are called. We'll get to that later in this chapter. The calling of God. Few are chosen. So if you're saved tonight, you know you're a Christian, just think back of one time I wasn't, and the Bible is teaching me He foreknew me before I was born. Remember He said that to Jeremiah? Jeremiah 1.5? Before, before you were formed in the womb, what? I knew you. 
That's about as clear as it gets. He moved into a relationship with us. Then he also did this. Verse 30, he predestined us. Predestined. A pre-planned a destiny for those he foreknew. He marked us out. He selected us and marked us out. The doctrine of predestination says that God, by His sovereign choice, selected in eternity past those who would become believers in Christ. Marked us out. I can remember being marked out 30 plus years ago. People talking to me about salvation. I'd heard Bible stories growing up. But I remember what that was like to hear the gospel and understanding it. And then as a good friend of mine told me that has really stayed with me, I heard the gospel and I saw the door that Jesus says, come. All you got to do is walk through the door. You come to me, you have eternal life. And he said, you opened the door and you went in, didn't you? I go, I did. He said, and you shut the door and you looked behind, didn't you? And it says, God foreknew me. God predestined me. God called me. God justified me. And you saw it was all God's work. It's both. Predestination is the marking out of when the gospel came to us. Election and predestination go together. Election basically is, is the what. Predestination is the, when it occurs concerning salvation of fallen men. Election is the what. God did the what. Predestination is when it happened in our life. He he took all the circumstances of life and fit them in perfectly because that's what He does for everybody, you, me, the world, people in the past and will, people in the future. Fits it all together perfectly. You'll run across in the Bible, is there anything too difficult for me? God said that. There's nothing difficult for Him. And He put it together so we would hear the gospel. So He foreknew us. Eternity passed. Marked us out. Eternity passed. Look at verse 30. He whom He also called, He also justified. That's when the point of time in the... When He... He marked us out. He summoned us at that moment in time. At that point, He summoned us to believe in Christ. So important. 
so important. We were having this conversation a few nights ago with some friends. And the question is, why don't people go to heaven? Why don't they go? People die and they go to hell. Why? I heard a voice. They they choose to. They choose to not believe in Christ. Not because they're not elect. See the point? Because if somebody says, well, he didn't elect me, how could I go to heaven? I I couldn't go unless he elected me. No, the Bible didn't teach that. Because if we say, well, I didn't go to heaven because he didn't elect me, who's who's to blame? God's to blame. We're going to blame God because he didn't elect? No. Somebody may say, but yeah, but if if they're not elect, how can they be saved? Because nobody seeks after God. I know. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why we're here and we haven't died and gone to heaven yet. Because we don't know who the elect are. God does. And we give them the gospel. And they take what they hear and God uses the gospel to save those he foreknew and marked out. We just don't know when or where. So we're to be faithful and give the gospel and not overthink it. He called. He called us. Note, notice this. This is all in past tense. These are events that have already taken place in eternity past. He foreknew. He predestined. He called. All past tense. Then what did he do? He justified. When did he justify? After he called us and we believed in the gospel. What's justification again? What's the definition of justification? To be made right. And why are we wrong? How, How is it that we're wrong? Through Adam. Through one man, sin entered the world and brought forth death. And when he brought forth death, everything corrupted us and we're wrong. We'll talk about that here in a second. So he justified us. He made us right. He, he in his declaration that all the demands of the law required are fulfilled for us in the Lord Jesus when we believe. Otherwise, people die. They don't believe in Christ. And what do they pay for? Their sins, breaking the law. There's only two ways to live. Belief in Christ for salvation or people believe in their own good works for salvation. The Bible teaches it's God's sovereignty and salvation. Yeah, the basic meaning for justification is to declare righteous. Yeah. 
positionally, Bill is right. Now we're trying to match our practice with our position. God sees us as His child, adopted, righteous, by none of our own, right. And in our practice, that's verses 29 and 30, to be conformed to who? The image of His Son. We're here in time, whenever that is for eternity, and we're going to die, apart from the rapture. Day appointed unto death, then comes judgment, Hebrews 9. Whenever this is, whenever that is, the Lord is moving us to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. How does that look? What does that look like? But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What does that mean? The, the older I get from the day I was saved to moving forward, I'm changing in my attitudes and desires and what I think about the Lord and what He wants me to do and trusting Him when I don't know where things are going. And it changes through time. So our practice, one day, will meet our position. We were talking on the way here. Um, recently, we had a discussion in another Bible study, and there was an individual in the study, which was, was fine, it's okay, believed that once saved and justified, that basically two things, don't sin or not much at all, and no longer depraved or un, doesn't have an evil heart anymore. So in that discussion, which was fine, it comes down to, okay, what does the Bible say? Not what I think it says. It says we still have an evil heart. Jeremiah 17, Matthew 7. And we still sin, Romans 7. What's my point of telling you that? Because everybody comes in, including myself, with knowledge of the truth, experiences, and being taught by somebody else. We're all a product of our teaching. Somebody led us somewhere. Somebody led us somewhere. So, if you're saved and you believe these truths, God led you to somebody who A, taught you or gave you books to read to help you in your growth and understanding. Didn't happen by accident. We are way off on our study here, but it does, t- <laughs> it does tie in to being justified. Justified. Declared righteous. We'll get to practical application of that a little bit deeper here in a second. Then also the last part is whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the final step in the process of salvation is right here. And everybody who's ever saved, no matter the person, region, race, gender, circumstances, it's all the same. 
foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Everybody's the same. Glorification involves completion of sanctification and ties into what Bill was talking about. Glorification is the removal of spiritual defects. There's no more tendencies of a corrupt mind. No more thinking that's impure. All of those spiritual defects are removed in glorification. By the way, that's what's waiting for us, is heaven. That's, that's what's waiting for us there. It's, it's, it's there. All of that as a result of union with Christ. In union with Him. Yes, Grant. Um, so when we're talking about foreknowledge, predestined, and called, does all we kind of fall under the umbrella of what we would call election, right? Trying to like categorize this a little bit, trying to understand it a little bit more. Um, because in my thinking, when I read scripture, I try to like identify certain words, and when I come across those words, you know, I automatically go, okay, I can therefore identify this as this. I think there's an error in that um, because when I think about these words as well, I also think about, um, like, specifically using an example, like uh, the Assyrian nation used as an instrument of judgment um, against uh, Israel. on God's foreknowledge, right, of his predestination, right, because he's, like, telling in the book of Isaiah what's going to happen, um, but there's an error there, I think, because we're really just talking about this in the context of God's sovereignty and salvation, like, can you help me maybe just a little bit, like, make a distinction between some of that? I'll try. Let me encourage you to not think a lot in steps of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, even though we see the chain here. Look at it this way. God in His decree, that's a determination in advance. Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Classic verses for that. In that was this. Every, this chain here. In that was this. To help us to understand it. So when you're talking about the electing purposes of God, 
those are really tied in in many ways to predestination because he election is what happened selection election is a selection is a choice that's election a choice he made a choice whereas predestination is is when it's going to happen so what I guess what I'm trying to say to you Grant Yes, they do tie in together. They, they, all of that ties in together. Because Spurgeon even said this, election shapes everything. Speaking of God, when you think of God, He's basically shaped everything through His electing work. I wish I could answer your question better. Try, try to fit it in with the language of the Bible. In the chain in which we see here, we know he made a choice for people who would he'd set his love on and save. And he's working it all out together. Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good. What? From his decree. So I guess what I'm trying to say, it's hard to separate stuff like this, even though there's a, there's a chain here. Okay, let me, let me give you an example. In salvation, what happened first? Faith or regeneration? Okay, while you're thinking, while you're thinking about it, show me in the Bible where it says that. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, logically, if you're a Calvinist, you know, well, how can they be alive and make a choice if they're dead? Here's my point. The Bible never says there's a chain there. Am I regenerated first, then I believe in Christ? Or do I believe in Christ first, then I'm regenerated? Here's my point. You don't have to answer it. What I'm saying is, the Bible doesn't say which happened first. The Bible teaches both. Regeneration is John 3. Faith is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay, my point is this. We want to be careful when we start splitting hairs. We want to be careful, well, well, this makes sense. This is logical. So therefore, because it's logical, therefore it's theology. And since it's theology, I'm going to base my life on that. I'm encouraging you to go back to what the Bible says. What does it say about these topics, these things? And that's why I answered you the way I did, Grant. Yeah, it's all fit in there. I don't like to say it's here and that's happened there. And um, Some of it we know, some of it we don't. Is that pretty confusing? Hear what he said? Here you go, guys. You be the teacher. Go ahead, Roy. Ask. How would you answer, Roy? Great question, by the way.
Right. Anybody want to take a shot? That's good, Grant. Thanks for jumping in the water. <laughs> I bet he does, Roy. <laughs> did I hear? Did I? I'm sorry, Brad. good. Romans 5.1. Yep. Let me answer your question, Roy. Thank you, Grant and Brad. Does it matter what I believe first to be saved is basically what you asked, Roy? No. You know what matters? What matters? Belief in Christ. He's the saving person. Do I believe in Him? To Grant's point, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, it drove me deeper into the Bible to try to understand it. Then that's good. Know your audience who you talk to when you're talking to them about the Lord. If it's somebody who's not saved, unless they ask, I wouldn't touch election, regeneration. I wouldn't touch it. If they ask, of course, be ready to give an answer that is within you. Yep. Know who you're talking to. Because here's the issue. If they're unbelievers, they're lost. And they need to believe in Christ. And here's how to do it. Here's, how, here's what to believe. And as we get into conversations, I mean, look at our group tonight. We have a group of people who I, I know and some I don't know. But you're here, and we're talking about it because if you didn't want to hear it, you wouldn't be here. So we can talk about it a little bit differently. The idea is to go a little bit farther than our, in our thinking, go a little bit farther. Why? This is the God who saved me, and He's brought these truths to me. What am I supposed to believe? He'll help me. 
And I'm perfectly fine when I can't figure it out. By the way, that's called faith. I'm going to trust you, Lord, that you have worked all this out. It's not hard for you. Regeneration or faith. Faith or regeneration. And we rest there. Help yourself not to go too far to where you're trying to logically tie all loose ends together. It won't, it won't happen. Good question, Roy. But I think that's valid because that's very practical. I don't know, 25, 30 years ago when I was at work and a friend of mine said to me, yeah, the buddy that you know that we know in Kansas City, yeah, I was just talking to him about the Lord and uh, you know what? He said he doesn't want to believe the rest of the other stuff of the Bible. He just wants to be a spectator. He's just glad he's watching the game. He didn't want to learn anymore. That doesn't fit with Scripture, does it? But am I going to make a judgment that the guy's not saved? Can't make that judgment. See how these things filter through our minds? We can start thinking about and we jump to conclusions sometimes because we know what we believe is right. And sometimes that's correct. Sometimes it's not. But we have to study. And the Lord will lead us there. Psalm 25 says, The Lord instructs sinners in the way. We're sinners. He teaches us in the way. How? The Bible, by the power of the Spirit, and other Christians to help us see things. Okay. Good question, Roy. Thank you, guys. Anything here on this chain of events? God's sovereignty in salvation. People are saved because they're sovereignly chosen. And believe in Christ. Turn to Ephesians 1. Let's look at this. Galatians, Ephesians Verses 4 to 6. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Those verses are so rich. What has been God's plan before the foundation of the world from verse 4? What's His plan? Verse 4. That's right. And how did He get that to happen? What did He do? Chose us chose us. And then what you said, Grant. He chose us. He elected us. He, he picked us out. He singled us out. He appointed us. And that we should be holy. What is the purpose of His plan of salvation? Verse 6. To give Him glory. 
to give Him the glory because of His grace? Or put another way, to recognize God for who He really is and how to respond appropriately? A maturing, walking-in-the-Spirit Christian has an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude as a pattern of life. We're not perfect, so we won't always be perfect. But we will recognize God for who He really is and that He chose us. And we want to respond appropriately and accordingly to what He's done for us. A person who's walking in the flesh and is in sin is ungrateful and impatient and does not worship the Lord. So if we ever want to know how we're doing in our present spiritual condition as a believer, are we thankful or unthankful? Thankful, we're walking in the Spirit. Unthankful, we're walking in the flesh. Thankful, we're in the will of God. Unthankful, we're not in His will because we're sinning. As a child believes his mom and dad, when they say to do something, a child is obedient, has a great relationship with his mother and father. A child who does not obey the parents and doesn't do what they say, is that child kicked out of the family, even if they want to be kicked out of the family? No. Do they have good relationship, fellowship? No. Same thing. It's the same thing we're talking about here. We act accordingly when we look back to give Him thanks for what He's done. In your notes, it says, God, grace is God's free and sovereign act of love and mercy in granting salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Apart from anything men are or can do, and of His sustaining that salvation glorification. Well, well written. Charles Simeon was a, was a pastor from the 18th century. He said, quote, God has not chosen us because we were holy or because He foresaw we should become holy, but in order that we might be holy, unquote. Ask the Lord to remind you when somebody starts talking about foreknowledge and God's choosing that He did not look down in the future and saw people believe in Him and then chose them to be saved. That is not true. God did not look to see our faith and then He chose us. Because then if that's the case, then it, that makes man sovereign in his salvation. Right? Yeah. And then it would give us unique credit for our own salvation. We would boast about it. And then it would assume that fallen man seeks after God. So be careful when people start using the terms of the Bible Whoever defines the terms wins the conversation and dialogue. Know the terms. And you know what? Sometimes I, 
we don't know the terms. Also, I don't even I don't even know what you mean. Could you help me so I can understand? Okay. Let's stop there. I want to stop there because we're going to look at next time God implements His plan of salvation. He had the sovereign plan and now He's going to put it into action and you're going to see what He does in that plan. Okay, questions, comments? It's always good to ask anybody, anytime, could you tell me where you got that out of the Bible? Could you, could you tell me what you're thinking, where you got that? That's always a good starting point when we, we don't understand. Sometimes I think the best answers are the ones who are always genuine when they say, you know what, I don't know. Let me think about it and I'll get back with you. I, I need to think this through. That's good, too. We don't have all the answers. Okay, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll be gone. Father, there's much there that you have shown us for salvation, and it all points back to you. You have written it on paper for us to see. Your thoughts on pages for us to see. We give you thanks for your choice of us, uh, for saving us, calling us and justifying us, knowing that you have a place for us reserved in heaven for our glorification. Lord, help us to understand this even better than we did before tonight. Give us grace and wisdom and understanding, comprehension, so that we can have thoughts of gratitude and thankfulness. We praise you, Father, for choosing us, Lord Jesus, for saving us, and Holy Spirit, for sealing us. Give us grace as we go our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name.